evangelism. Um, so evangelism essentially, but just that um, maybe a, a slight kind of uh, shift in, in influence even uh, in Christian culture uh, towards really ministering to people's hearts. So evangelism is part of the call on all of our lives to, um, to share the good news of the kingdom of God. It's not something for the evangelist, as we understand in the fivefold ministry, Ephesians 4.11, you've got um, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, and their role is to equip the saints, which is all of us, for works of ministry. So the uh, uh, evangelists equip everybody to be able to evangelize and share the gospel. The apostles equip everybody to be apostolic in that kind of way because we want to be formed into the likeness of Jesus and Jesus was an evangelist. I don't know if you knew that. Spent a bit of, t- of his time, like three years straight, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. Um, so it's a part of our responsibility as disciples of Jesus to share the gospel, share the good news of God's kingdom. And it's also God's heart. It's his heart to seek and save the lost. It's his heart that none would perish, but that all would come to a saving knowledge of Christ. His, he, that's his heart. It's his heartbeat. It's like, I want, I want my children to come back, my, my wayward sons and daughters. I want them back into my family. I want them out of destruction. I want them out of the kingdom of darkness and into my kingdom of light and fullness and abundance and joy and relationship with God. God is all about inviting back into covenant relationship those who have been separated from Him by sin, by the effects of sin on the earth. And, uh, and it's just, it's kind of increasing more and more. Now, there's many, many regions in the world where Christianity is increasing, even in uh, Islamic countries, um, and, you just, and you probably don't hear a lot about it um, because it's kind of a lot of underground. I'm sure uh, Rod and Lindley in their work, um, you know, with uh, world kind of mission stuff, hear plenty of stories. Um, but it's something where, you know, sin constantly, people are being brought up in, in families where it's just not normal to... Uh, for people to know about Jesus. So God's heart is for evangelism to happen. So what is evangelism? Where do we get this word from? Well, it comes from the Greek word euangelion. In the Greek, euangelion, and euangelion means good news. So somebody who proclaimed the good news would be someone that, it was essentially a runner that would go from the war zone to head back into the town proclaiming the victory that had been won on the battlefield. So when Jesus comes in and he's proclaiming the good news, he's letting people know about the victory that's going to be won on the battlefield when he conquers Satan's sin and death on the cross. So when we come and we're proclaiming the good news, we're, we're heralding, we're letting people know, which means that the, the gospel is something that is to be spoken out. This good news is to be spoken out. But as we'll see in Jesus' life, it was so much more than just something that he spoke out. It was a reality that he demonstrated to people. So euangelion is, the, is Greek for good news, and we get the Latin transliteration is evangelium, where we get the word evangelism. So evangelism is the Latin for euangelion. Cool? You all know these things. Uh, so good news uh, became in the Old English, Godspell, which became gospel. So when you hear evangelism, gospel, good news, all the same thing. Cool? All right. Thank you. 
And so the kingdom of God is, and it, I think it should be first a heart reality that we experience. It's an internal reality that becomes an external reality. If we're only ever tasting the fruit of the kingdom of God and yet not fully entering in, then we don't, we're not fully experiencing ourselves the kingdom of God and we're not able to manifest the kingdom of God, to take that kingdom to the nations of the world. It becomes a theoretical thing that we kind of know about or that we experience, but it's supposed to come and be a heart reality for us. So we're born again by the Spirit, and then as our salvation is worked out through our hearts, our hearts conform to our new creation identity, and we become that. We become kingdom carriers that we are to release into the world. And so we may, and people may engage with the kingdom of God through miraculous and kind of signs and wonders. So that's what Jesus did. He went about preaching the good news, proclaiming the good news, and healing all who were sick or oppressed of the devil. That's what the scripture says. So Jesus went around proclaiming the good news and then demonstrating the good news to the people that he encountered. So they engaged with it, but if they only got healed in their, natu- in their physical body and then went away without receiving something deeper, they're better off for a season, but at the end of their life when they die and they stand before the Lord, what ultimate benefit is that going to be for them? Number one, plus they'll go all of their life on earth not being in relationship with God, not knowing the Father, which is, as the Bible says, eternal life. Eternal life is knowing God. So what we don't want is for people just to experience the fruit of the kingdom and not be grafted into the tree of the kingdom. But it's important sometimes, it's like you, you might go to someone and say, would you like to buy an apple tree? And they're like, mm, I'm not really sure. I was like, well, I've got some fruit from an apple tree. You want to try this? And they eat the apple. That's the most amazing apple I've ever tasted in my life. I'll buy three apple trees, thanks. You know? There's a buy-in that comes when we taste it. Does that make sense? And so it's good for us to be a people that go about doing good as Jesus did, letting people know about the kingdom. But sometimes that the letting you know about the kingdom comes first from me demonstrating the kingdom. So as we encounter someone at the shops, we see they've got a broken leg, we pray for them, the pain leaves. That's a clear demonstration of the kingdom of God. And through that demonstration, we get an opportunity to tell people about Jesus. Now, I've had plenty of times I've, I've seen miraculous healings in people. Uh, and as Jesus did, he he prayed for multitudes of people who got healed physically they got set free from the demonic and as far as we know they didn't follow him so not everyone is going to receive and it's not like a a kind of well i I prayed for your healing now so you've got to sit down and listen to a five-minute gospel presentation or i'll take it back so the kingdom of god is a family of sons and daughters So we've come into relationship, we've come under the lordship of Jesus. So he is king and we are in his kingdom. We are under his lordship. And so if our methods of evangelism are primarily focused either on the intellectual um, kind of teaching of of the gospel or just spiritual engagement with, with kind of miraculous things and it doesn't come down to the heart, a heart manifestation if we're not actually drawing people into relationship with God and ministering to the hearts of people, then they're not fully experiencing the kingdom of God. And so much of evangelism for the last kind of several generations has been kind of an intellectual, it's about getting people to agree with truths about God. 
I've got here a lot of evangelistic techniques that have been taught in the church over the last few generations have been focused on communicating propositional truth statements and trying to get people to agree with those statements. So a proposition is essentially a, a, a question that I ask that is either true or it is false. So I present a question to somebody and I'm trying to convince them to believe that this is true rather than it being false. And so a lot of evangelism has been focused around this is what we call apologetics. We're trying to get people to come into agreement with something that I agree with and something that I believe. Now the problem with intellectual agreement doesn't always necessarily transfer to heart belief. Even as Christians, as, and probably even more recently, we've had just in, in a lot of kind of different prayer ministry situations that we've started to discover more and more how much when we have a judgment against God in our heart, we can know all of the right things in our head, and yet that judgment, that unbelief in our heart, can actually be the opposite of what we know to be true in our mind. So intellectually, we read, well, God is good in my heart, I believe that is not. But belief is truth. That's real truth. You know, uh, Elijah House, one of the um, kind of uh, things we talk about with Elijah House is, is evangelizing the unbelieving parts of the human heart. And that's essentially what we do in, in prayer ministry because we're getting beyond the intellectual. We're getting to the heart of the person and, and trying to draw out, what does your heart believe about that? Well, my heart believes this. And say, so, okay, well, your heart is believing a lie. But if I just bombard your mind with truths and expect that that's just naturally going to filter down, it won't. Because if there is a judgment in your heart about something, if there is an inner vow, if there is a foundational lie that you believe in your heart, your heart is locked into believing that until you come out of agreement with that, until you repent of that judgment. Does that make sense? So we try to get people to agree with what we believe, but we actually need to be inviting people to believe what they encounter. There's, there should be a tangible reality to this. If we're just communicating kind of these truth statements, of, well, Jesus, Lord, you need to agree to this, you need to come forward and pray a prayer about these things, it doesn't necessarily mean that that's transferring into heart engagement and a person being born again by the Spirit of God. Altar calls, people praying the sinner's prayer, all of those things, uh, literally in the last few generations, in the last 200 years, that's become the norm. Before that, it just wasn't the norm. Now, I mean, before that, it was, it was probably in the um, Christendom kind of environment of Catholicism. It was, it was more that people, would, you were just kind of born into uh, faith. You were born into Christianity. So, well, my parents were, were Christian, so therefore I'm, I'm a Christian. So that, I'm not saying that's good either. Um, but, but there's something where we, we have this, now this kind of expectation, this normal kind of learnt behavior that says, if, you, if I can get you to agree with something that I'm saying, and I might use good techniques, I might talk about how good and great and glorious God is, or I might let you know how angry and scary and um, you know, guilty you should feel, uh, whatever technique I might choose to use as an evangelist to get you to, you know, to tick the box and invite someone forward or pray a prayer, whatever, and they, they will agree. Do you believe that Jesus is your Lord and Savior? Do you believe that he died on the cross for your sins? Do you believe that? And people are asking belief statements, but essentially it's what I'm asking is, do you agree with this propositional truth statement? And the person says, yes. 
Now, uh, do we know whether they actually truly believe in the heart? Well, Well, we're not sure if we don't actually get to the heart of the matter and we don't draw people in. But see, the heart as well, the heart is an experiential thing. So the heart doesn't necessarily change belief in an instant. Our heart beliefs get formed over time. They get formed experientially and relationally. So we also, we need to give people space to do the heart journey with God before they might pray a prayer of commitment to God. Now, I'm not against praying a prayer of commitment to God. But I, for me, it's, it's something where someone says, well, you ask a Christian, do you want to follow Jesus? And if they say yes, they say, okay, well, talk to God and let Him know that you want to make a commitment to follow Him. You're engaging your will to say, I want to choose to follow you, Jesus. Okay? That's good and, and well. Now, does that make somebody a Christian? No, it doesn't. When somebody prays the sinner's prayer, does it make them a Christian? Is that the magic spell, you know, the magic formula that we use to get someone into salvation? No, there's no biblical evidence of that. The sinner's prayer isn't in the Bible. And again, I'm not trying to crush all of those things or people's good intention to want to get people into the kingdom of God. But I'm saying I think too often we think that say this magic kind of prayer and bang, you're saved. And yet that's not the the biblical way of doing it. And I think we sell people short because we tell people that they've received eternal life and yet they haven't and they go away not experiencing eternal life. Again, eternal life is not living forever in heaven. Eternal life is the life of God coming and being a, a manifest reality for you in the now. So we hand out Bible tracts, we do gospel presentations, but the, and these can be helpful, but only if they explain something that's going on deeper in that person. It's good, it's good to have understanding. Well, what's going on? I just had this experience. What's going on? Well, let me tell you, so that your mind understands what's going on in your heart and going on in your spirit. But it's important that we engage at a deeper level. But we can think that, oh, because this person agrees with something, therefore they've become a Christian. And I know I've had situations where, you know, I've heard about a, maybe a ministry reaching out to people and like, man, we, we prayed for 10 people and they got saved, uh, is what we say, because they prayed the, the sinner's prayer. And my question is, now who is discipling those people? Oh, well, well, well no one. So, what? That's like giving birth to a baby and just putting it in a room and saying, well, hope, <laughs> see how you go. God bless you. Be at peace. What's going to happen? The baby's going to die. Like he, the, the, There's no growth and, ex, and experiential kind of engagement with God. They don't get to actually experience and encounter the Lord. So then people go and they say, no, well, I did that. Well, I went to a, a, an outreach event or I went to a church or I, had, I met someone on the street and they prayed for me and I, I prayed that prayer and nothing changed in my life. In fact, everything just got worse. <laughs> but they haven't actually experienced and encountered God. You know, in, in the book of Acts, and we see um, different times, you know, with Peter and Paul, where they would be speaking to a group of people and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit would crash in on the meeting. Just out of nowhere, like to the point where they didn't think that the gospel, the good news of the kingdom was for anybody apart from the Jews. And so there they are, they're in front of this big group of non-Jewish people, Gentiles, and they're talking about the kingdom of God. And then all of a sudden, in the same way, like at Pentecost, where the Holy Spirit just crashed into the room, He crashes in on these people. They start falling over, drunk, speaking out in tongues, all this sort of stuff. And they're like, 
I think maybe that God wants to now reach out to the Gentiles. Like, that was revelation for them. But you know what? There was something that they saw tangibly with their eyes and experienced and encountered that these people had. Now, again, there can be, people can have, and they can come into an intellectual agreement with a propositional truth statement, and that starts them on the journey, okay, towards, and then they have those moments where God actually breaks in and the Holy Spirit, and they experience that born-again kind of moment in their life. So I'm not saying that it doesn't work, but I'm saying if that's our primary mode of evangelism, is to get somebody to agree with what I believe, I think we're, we're selling God short to people. And we're aiming in a way, and that's a, a lot of what I think puts people off of evangelism, because I'm like, man, I'm just not that person that can just go up to a stranger and start saying, hey, have you heard the good news, brother? You know, can, like that kind of, you know, because evangelists, like ev- evangelist evangelists, uh, can be a bit weird. Like, who knows one? Yeah, who is one? No one? Oh, that's a... No, but, you know, like they're just, like someone like Todd White. Who's in Todd White? Dreadlock dude. Like just full on kind of dude. And he's just, I mean, he's a lovely guy and he's great and connects with people and he's all of that sort of stuff. So he's, he's, it's good. But you know what I mean? Like majority of people probably aren't like that in their personality or their inclination to do that sort of thing. But we look at that and we put that on the pedestal and say, that's what evangelism looks like. And I'm saying that's not only what evangelism looks like. That's what the personality like, if we use that example, like Todd White's, that looks like him proclaiming the kingdom of God. Now, what it looks like for you to proclaim the kingdom of God might look radically different to that, but it's exactly the same. It's just a different way of doing it. You know, often, um, you know, we use, we use the Bible, we lean heavily on the Bible to try and convince people of, of the truths about God. But the problem is that we view the Bible or Scripture as authoritative, but society doesn't. So again, we're still utilizing um, ways of evangelizing from generations ago, where everybody kind of believed, oh yeah, the Bible's true, of course it is. But we're talking hundreds of years ago when that was the norm. And yet still we lean it, well, the Bible, you know, someone might make an argument even for societal changes like, you know, gay marriage or whatever. Well, the Bible says that it's this. And it's like, true, but no one's going oh, I didn't realize, (laughs) I don't believe in God, I'm an atheist, I don't believe in the Bible or anything, but the fact that it's in the Bible, oh, why didn't you say so, Christians? If I'd known that, I would have changed all of my beliefs. Of course, I'll put my placard down and I'm on your team now because the Bible's, you know, the Bible tells me so. And again, it's good and it's right and we stand on the authority of Scripture and it's but for us, but when you use that as an evangelistic technique and expect people to kind of go, be blown away, oh, well, if the Bible says so, I, I totally believe. But again, you're trying to get someone to intellectually believe or agree with something that you believe. Like it's, that's two very different levels of understanding that, that we have. The Bible reveals truths about God's nature, but it should only ever be the Holy Spirit that gives life to people and reveals the Father. So again, someone says, what do you believe? And I can take them to scriptures and I can take them because it has something where it's like, this is not stuff that I've just made up. This is not Brad's kind of kooky, cult, you know, alfoil hat religion over here. Like this is something that for, for thousands of years people have been believing. Um, but I can tell you something, but I need the Holy Spirit to make it real to you. 
It's the Spirit that gives life to people. It's the Holy Spirit that causes someone to be born again, to become a new creation. That's a spiritual reality that happens. And then people that needs to transfer into a heart reality. And I believe we actually need to repent for some of the ways that we've evangelized. Now, repentance simply means to to change the way we think about something. So I'm not saying necessarily that it's all sinful, but I'm saying there's been a lot of stuff where people have been pressured into doing stuff, where they've been guilty. Well, if you died tonight and you had to stand before God, where would you go? I don't know. Well, you'd go to hell because you don't believe in Jesus. Do you want to go to hell? No. Then pray this prayer. Okay. Salvation. Woo! Enter the kingdom of God. You know, but, but you know what I mean? Like I'm not I'm just saying this that's but what has that person done? They're just like, I don't want the bad thing. What do I need to do to not get the bad thing? All you have to do is literally say a few sentences. Oh well, that's easy. I'll do that. And uh, now what do I do? Uh, I don't know, just read a Bible, um, come along to church and give your money and serve a ministry and blah 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 blah. <laughs> All of those things. Um, now again what I'm saying is in those moments somebody can and fully not if you're preaching the gospel like that because I don't believe that's that's not good news for people um, that's a that's a kind of get out of hell free card you know it's not it's, you're not inviting people into a loving relationship with a loving father you're not inviting this into that oneness that Jesus prayed for in John 17 you, you're not inviting people into that you're essentially trying to get them out of a bad place when God's trying to invite them into a good place People have used fear, guilt, shame to get people to come into agreement. You know, God is presented more as a fear monger than a father. You know, people have the thing, well, I, don't, I wouldn't walk into a church, I could get struck by lightning. You know, like, where does that picture come from? Well, the church has presented that picture to the, to the world. That God is a God of hate. We, we let people know what he hates more than what he loves. Now, again, I'm not saying God doesn't hate sin and doesn't, you know, this, he, he, he hates and he loves. But guess who he loves? People. Guess who else who he loves? His enemies. <laughs> okay, so who's left out of the, if you've got your friends and you've got your enemies and you love them both, who's left? No one. Or gay people, Muslims, and, yeah, people who drive slow in the right-hand lane. No, no, he loves, he loves people. He loves his enemies, people who would even say, I'm anti-God. God's like, I love you. He chooses to love. He doesn't respond to people and then decide how he wants to feel about someone. He just loves. And the brokenness for people, the, the um, lack of understanding, the lack of revelation that even the church has presented of the true heart and nature of God to the world. I remember... Um, meeting with a with a lady like friend of a, of, of a person and uh, me and another guy went and so this lady that we knew said you need to can you just come and talk to my friend she's having a really hard time I said sure so we went and sat out the back of the house and we're chatting away and we just started sharing the good news sharing about the heart of the father and and this lady's like i've never heard people talk about god in this way and she's like if more people knew how loving god was and this god that you're talking about, if more people knew this god 
they'd want to come to church. And she then starts trying to tell, like, you need to write this stuff on a flyer and put it in people's letterboxes. Like, this is amazing. And, and we're just sharing kind of normal stuff, but we're presenting a loving father. No fear, no expectation. Psalm 103 in the Passion Translation, starting at verse 8, says, Lord, you're so kind and tender-hearted to those who don't deserve it and so very patient with people who fail you. Your love is like a flooding river overflowing its banks with kindness. You don't look at us and only find our faults just so that you can hold a grudge against us. You may discipline us for our many sins, but never as much as we really deserve. Nor do you get even with us for what we've done. Higher than the highest heavens, that's how high your tender mercy extends. Greater than the grandeur of heaven above is the greatness of your loyal love towering over all who fear you and bow down before you. Farther than a sunrise to a sunset, that's how far you've removed our guilt from us. The same way a loving father feels towards his children. That's but a sample of your tender feelings toward us, your beloved children who live in awe of you. You know, the message has been skewed. The methods have been skewed. We're trying to get people to agree with, so that they get out of punishment. Rather than presenting a, a loving God and, and, and engaging with people's hearts so they fall in love with this good father what's the greatest commandment love the lord your god with all your heart soul mind and strength so your mind's part of that process it's with all your thoughts with all your mental faculties but the heart the heart the heart is where we believe the church has been going after decisions and not after disciples we've been trying to make decisions and not make disciples and that's a very dangerous thing because that's not what Jesus did. He invited people on and he actually let them know, this is going to be really hard for you. It's not going to be easy. You need to weigh up the cost that, it, that it's going to be for you. Now the benefits will be far greater than anything you could imagine. But Jesus would say, no one goes to build a house and doesn't actually look through the cost and can I actually afford to build this thing? People would go, oh Jesus, yeah, I want to follow you. I just need to go bury my dead father. Jesus is like, well, you're not fit to be my disciple. There's a cost. It'll cost you your life. There's a, there's a trade in there. And we've just really lowered the bar for people. No, just pray a prayer. Done. Tick the box. You're in. It's not what Jesus did. Romans chapter 10, verse 8. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him the de from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So there is confession and heart belief. But if people are only confessing and not believing, they're no better off. We need to invite people into heart engagement and evangelize in ways that, that get to people's hearts. It is possible to confess something that you don't believe. If the heart isn't engaged in the evangelism process, then we cannot know if belief has been established. John 6, 47, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. 
Jesus went for the heart because as has been said many times, the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. So how did Jesus evangelize? I got some shun words for you if you want to write them down because you're all good note takers. And <clears throat> it's all right. You don't have to write them down. You can just watch the video back later. So the first thing, how did Jesus evangelize? Well, proclamation. So he spoke about the kingdom of God and not just salvation, but the in, uh, invitation into a realm and into a relationship. He'd say the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's near you. It's something you can experience and engage with. And he invited people into right relationship to be reconciled to the Father, to be reconciled into right relationship. So he proclaimed the kingdom of God, all the goodness of God, and all the great things of God, and he, but he invited people in. He invited them in. So the first one, proclamation. The second one is revelation. So not everybody received the message. Not everybody that Jesus preached to received the message of the kingdom of God. And he, he would even make it difficult for people by preaching using parables. It's like he, he made it hard for people. They had to press in to understand. They had to have ears to hear and eyes to see. John 6, verse 60, when many of his disciples heard this saying, this is when Jesus said to them, um, you need to eat my body and drink my blood or you're not fit to be my disciple. They said to him, this is a hard saying, who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, he had a word of knowledge, he said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. These words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life. So that's the difference between an intellectual engagement with a propositional truth statement and spirit and life words that come out and penetrate someone's heart. Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. So you can't make somebody a Christian. You can get them to pray the sinner's prayer 500 times. It doesn't make them a Christian. There is no formula. There's an invitation, and it's the Father who draws them. And he said, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the 12, so it's literally a crowd of people who were like, yep, we're with you, Jesus. We're going, we're going. And then he turns around and at some point in his teaching, he shares this hard teaching and they're like, uh, maybe not. I think I left the kettle on. Um, I just remembered. Yeah, I think my, my mom's calling. I got to head back, Jesus. Sorry about that. He says to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. We believe in our hearts and we've come to know, not intellectually. That word is the word that means like sexual intimacy, that kind of knowing. We, have, we believe in our hearts and we've come to know. Like we know in a deep Nobody could convince us otherwise in our minds that you are the Holy One of God. So there was proclamation, then revelation. People need, need, God needs to be revealed to somebody. And then we see demonstration. Jesus demonstrated the reality of the kingdom of God. Matthew 8 verse 1. This is just after the Sermon on the Mount. 
So uh, from like Matthew 5 through to uh, chapter 8, we see it. And he comes down from the mountain and great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him saying, Lord, if you will, you will make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. So Jesus spends three chapters of the book of Matthew talking about the kingdom of God, talking about what it's like. The kingdom of God is like this, and you know, previously the teachings were do this, and but now I say to you, do this, speaking with authority, all of these amazing truths about the kingdom of God. Comes down from the mountain, first thing he does, he demonstrates that reality. He didn't just talk about it, he demonstrated it. And it's important for us, that's our model of evangelism. What did Jesus do? So when we're talking about to somebody about the kingdom of God, and there's, there's a need that they have, pray. Use that opportunity to actually reveal the kingdom of God. You might pray just even to say, can I just pray for you? And just invite the Holy Spirit to come and crash in on your life. I've had people in that yeah, I've prayed like I just feel like a weight lifted off me, or I just feel such peace, or I feel you know, they have this experiential encounter. People, get, you know, their bodies get healed, whatever it might be. You're showing them now. Still, even though they have an encounter with God, they still need a revelation of God, and they, they still need the Spirit to come and, and make them born again. But they're tasting. They're, there's a tangible expression of that. They're engaging with something that's kind of real. Like it's harder to ignore. Because it's not just Brad's opinion. I experienced something. It happened before my eyes. I felt that in my body. And that's something that's really hard to disagree with. You know, for me, um, I haven't done heaps of deliverance, like ministry, casting out demons and stuff. But my faith increased the more I saw demons manifest. Because it's like, you know, people, and you see people fall down, you have an experience with God, and like, oh, they're just kind of faking a little bit or whatever. When you see somebody, particularly someone who's not a Christian, manifest a demon, you're like, wow, I know you, <laughs> and I know you would not be putting that on. And how you would even know that that's kind of what demons often do, where they, you know, snarl or growl or whatever. Like, you look into someone's eyes who is, when the demon is manifesting, it's like, Holy moly, that's, that's real right there. And then you pray and you cast out the demon, instant change in that person. You know, that's, that's real kind of stuff. But that's what Jesus did, didn't he? Where he healed the sick, raised the dead, cleansed the lepers, cast out demons. Like that's just normal Christianity. It's supposed to be normal Christianity. And I love what, what Bethel and Bill Johnson have done so well in, in kind of reigniting that in the body of Christ in the evangelical church. Just kind of bringing that to the forefront. But there's more than that because we don't just want to be a signs and wonders people if we're not inviting people into a heart-disciple relationship with God. So we've got, what's the first one? Second one. Third one. Fourth one is new creation. He got them filled with the Holy Spirit. They, be, they became a new creation because they were born again. So we want to pray, when we pray for people, we want to pray that the Holy Spirit actually comes in and makes His home in them. Not just that they have an experience in the outside, but it's like, do you want to, and you give people permission, do you want to invite the Holy Spirit to come and, and make His home in you? And if they agree, then you pray it, and you wait for Holy Spirit to come. 
I know it's one of the, I don't know if it's Charles Wesley or John Wesley, but many years ago, um, these, you know, one of these great kind of revivalists, and they would, at their meetings, at their gatherings, if somebody wanted to become a follower of Jesus, they had like a chair set up, and they would sit the person down in that chair, and they would pray for the Holy Spirit to come upon them them to be you know kind of born again and they would wait for them to have an experience and they might pray two hours three hours they're just waiting praying holy spirit come holy spirit fill them whatever now if after that couple of hours of prayer they would ask the person do you have a witness of the holy spirit do you are you feeling experiencing anything they'd be like no okay cool you're not saved go away come back next week or come back at another time and and we'll do it again so they gave them no assurance of salvation. Well, you know, you prayed a prayer, you came into agreement, whatever. It's like, no, no, no. The Holy Spirit's real, and He'll make Himself known to you. Okay? Now, often people would go away, and it'd be during the week, and they'd be in their home, and something would happen. They'd have this encounter with God, and that born-again experience would happen. Now, again, we're not trying to... I'm not saying that's the right way to do it either, but I'm, all I'm saying is the, the reality of God must become a reality to people, not, a, not theoretical. If we live too much in the theoretical of the kingdom of God. When it's 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 a realm, a spiritual realm. It's the authority of Christ working and that's the problem. If we if we come into faith intellectually and then we see that the way that the kingdom is going to come is intellectually, then what we try and do we operate at that religious and the political kind of spirit that that happens and, and exists that Jesus warned the disciples against. He said beware of the leaven of Herod and the leaven of fa- of the Pharisees which is the political and the religious kind of mentality or philosophy or, or spirit in that kind of way. And that seeks to, you know, through, through knowledge and control or political power, seeks to, to dominate. So we say, well, we need people, and we do need people in, in parliament and different areas of government, you know, saying the right kinds of things. But if we think that we're going to change the nation and see the kingdom of God come to the nation because we get people to speak out the right things or come into agreement with the right things, like that's not the way that the kingdom comes. It comes in the night. It comes undercover. It's leaven that gets woven into, into the bread that actually starts to shift and change people. It's heart to heart and spirit to spirit being born again, being invited into that place. Now again, the proclamation has a part to play. But the Spirit of God is a spiritual reality that God is wanting to be manifest on the earth. New creation. Next one, last one is activation. So not only did they get born again, but then he released them into their destiny. He said, there's, there's steps to go from here. This is not it. It's not just, oh, you got your ticket to heaven now. Go about your everyday life. He's like, no, no, you've, you've come into a whole new reality. You've come into a whole new realm of existence. And so he, he drew them into a relationship. It's like, come and follow. You need to be discipled by someone. You need to be activated daily into this place. You need to be, have your mind renewed to understand the right things about God. But they were activated into that life. They were sent out to, to, to minister. They're like, go and tell people about Jesus. Go and share what you've experienced with other people. There was an activation. They had things to do. But there were things that they did in relationship and in connection with others. Cool? We're almost done. So we, I believe we need to lower the, the bar of expectation for what evangelism looks like. There's a huge danger that we make evangelism this massive deal that actually should be a natural part of our lives. 
as God permeates every part of our lives, then it should be impossible to remove Him from the story that we tell. But again, we've had this kind of mentality culturally in the church that you know, we call this church. We say, you're going to church on Sunday. This isn't church. This isn't a church. We are a church. We are a community of people that God has brought. We are the ecclesia. We are the governing body of God on the earth. You take all of these people out, this is a warehouse. You fill this with people, it's still a warehouse. We, this is a warehouse. This is not Paradox Church. You, we are the church. Yes, I don't know, we, we say that. But then we use language that says, oh, see your church on Sunday. That, that makes n- no grammatical sense biblically. Because the church was never referenced as a place or even as a gathering. It is a gathering. A clazy means a gathering of people. But they didn't, you know, people wouldn't say, oh, I'll see you at church on Sunday. Because they gathered every day and they didn't have churches. They had homes that they met in and all of those sorts of things. But, um, but again, because we've compartmentalized things. So it's kind of like my faith can be something that I express in a moment or that God really only, His Lordship only permeates part of my life. And I do believe we need a revelation of how much Jesus permeates our life. It's every part. Your time, your money, your energy, your everything that's there. And it's not that everything is like, oh, God's now going to use up all of my energy or use up all my time. He's, no, he's, he's just, it, it matters to Him. And it must be yielded to Him. Otherwise, you're the Lord of that part of your life. And we are, I think I said this last week, we're not very good at being God. You know, God is not a compartment of our lives. Our faith isn't a compartment, but often we can do that. It's like we, because we compartmentalize the church, therefore our experience and engagement with God, we don't go about the everyday part of our lives. You know, we, we, people have made the Sunday thing that we do like the penultimate kind of expression of Christianity, and it's not. It shouldn't be because it's a very small portion of your life is spent in a corporate church gathering. Very, very small percentage. So what are you doing with the majority of your time that you're spent, that's spent out there? Well, I don't know what to do because no one's facilitating my worship. No one's facilitating my learning. There's no preacher. I can't have Brad come over to my house every day and teach me the Bible. I don't know what to do with my money because I gave my 10% and what do I do with the 90? Because I don't have anyone telling me what to do because I'm a little baby. I'm an infant in the things of God, because no one actually has given me the responsibility to take charge of my life and say, actually, I'm a disciple because I chose to be a disciple and I've given the whole of my life to God, so I'm going to learn, I'm going to follow Jesus, I'm going to be a good steward of my money, I'm going to worship God in every aspect of my day because He is worthy of all of my worship. The church has infantilized people kept them as infants because we've over-facilitated people's lives, even people's social networks, youth group, young adults ministry, all of this sort of stuff. Like, it's just all, with seniors group, like, if, like, just go and hang out with people. Like, seriously, it's like, well, I just don't know anyone in the church because, you know, there's no youth group. It's like, because you can't say, hi, nice to meet you. You know, but I mean, and, and we've, and I'm, Get off the high horse. <laughs> That's me getting off my high horse in case you... I, n- I was never good at drama at school. 
But you know what I mean? Like we're so, we've, we've just kind of bound people in and, and controlled their lives as the church. And it's like, it's just nonsense because it doesn't grow healthy, mature disciples who are released and going every day in my workplace, I'm there to bring the kingdom of God. I'm going to worship the Father in this place and see the kingdom of God come here. And I'm going to utilize strategies that God releases to me. Not just kind of, I'm not just going to do Christian-y type things and bring them into my workplace. I'm going to say, because this, you know, uh, anyway, I've been there before. You know my thoughts on those sorts of things. So what are some methods to evangelize people's hearts? It's important that we create open heart environments. And I'm talking about just in your relationships, at your workplace. And again, every workplace is going to be different. The amount of time you get to share with people. And, and I'm saying you might, you know, you could be maybe in a trades kind of environment where it's just a bit more, if you're a guy, kind of a bit more rough and masculine, all that sort of stuff. Don't think that you can't engage with people's hearts in that environment. I know plenty of guys who are manly men who are connected to their hearts. And it, like, it doesn't make them less manly. If you're a guy and you're afraid that if I connect with my heart, I'm going to somehow be less masculine, you will be far more masculine because you'll come into an encounter with the reality of Christ who was the manliest man. You're made in God's image, which is not male or female. It's His nature. He presents as a father, but He's got feminine attributes. So we two together have that, men and women, it's okay for us to be different in those kinds of ways. But don't feel like that there's not opportunity to create. It's about asking the right kinds of questions. It's about taking notice of people's lives. It's about you ask someone, how are you going? And then you remember those things. We had, um, just recently, we went, well, when we went over east and we hired a car for, to get up to where the campsite was. And I went through the same company that we used the last time we had a family holiday over there. And so I remembered the guy and I had an opportunity just through sharing with, with the owner of the car hire company to find out about his family. He just shared his story because you're kind of driving from place to place while he drops you off. And, but I remembered his, his girlfriend's mother was unwell the last time that we were over there. So I was able to remember that and ask him, oh, how's your, you know, how's your girlfriend's mom? And, you know, and I told him that I was praying for her and, and those sorts of things. And so, but it's just little things like that where you... Start to remember stuff, things that are important to people. So create open heart environments. Ask those sorts of questions. I mean, obviously the first one, second on the list, but first of priority is just to love people. Ask God to have to, for a love in your heart, even if there's somebody that in the natural you'd want to hate. They're mean, they're nasty, they're all of those sorts of things. Ask God, God, give me a love for them. And if their behavior um, causes turmoil in you, that's your heart you can deal with it's maybe your prejudice or your pride or your offense that's all your responsibility remember so you can deal with that so oh, this, that person, my boss is just so arrogant i can't stand him it's like his arrogance is affecting you so deal with the effect that's having on you deal with your own heart and then all of a sudden his arrogance is just his arrogance and you can love through that a question would be are you a safe person for people to share their hearts with what do you do with secrets? Do you gossip? If, if people ever tell me stuff about somebody else, I immediately go, that person's not a safe person. Because if they're doing it to me, they're doing it about me. If someone's gossiping to you, they're gossiping about you. <laughs> yeah. But we don't want to be a gossiping people because it's, it's death. Um, we, I, I believe that if you engage, even if you listen to gossip and don't put a stop to it, 
and say, have you spoke, you know, if someone comes to you and says, oh man, this person the other day and they did this and did that, your response is, Matthew 18, have you spoken to them? And if their answer is no, they say, then don't talk to me about it until you're gone and talk to them. And if you don't get anywhere with them, then I can come along with you. But when we engage with gossip, even if we're just listening and, oh, okay, oh, that's, that's, that's nice, it's awkward, but you know, I'm, I'm liable for that, I believe. It's like if somebody came to you and said, oh, I'm just letting you know, I'm going to go over to this person's house and murder them. Just letting you know. Okay, thanks for telling me. And then you do nothing about it. Yeah? Same stuff. Words are death. Power of life and death on the tongue. It's not in the notes, but that's a freebie for you. Sorry, I'm not, I feel like I'm being a bit harsh. I love you guys. And I know this is, this is all for the Facebook Live people watching, so... As I said before, take an interest in people's lives. When you ask things about, remember them. Write them down if you need to. Pray for them. Invite people into your story. Ask them about their story. Just like to say, hey, where, where'd you grow up? Oh, I grew up here. Oh, yeah, what school? Like, just ask people just story. Oh, what did you get up to on the weekend? Just different things like that. And I know this sounds kind of simple and basic, but this is part of evangelizing people's hearts. This is part of the journey. It's not just like, oh, I'm just waiting for the right opportunity that they ask me something about Bible or the Jesus or whatever. I used to pick up hitchhikers a lot. Not a lot, enough. Um, <laughs> you know, late at night I'd be driving back from somewhere and I'd see a, a hitchhiker and I'd l- I'd love to pick them up. And I would be so excited. I'd wait for them to ask me about what I did for work because I'd be like, oh, I'm a youth pastor. And then they would open the door and I could evangelize to them. Um, but, uh, but we don't need to wait for those opportunities. We could just get to know. So you, you create connection with people. And when you create connection and trust because you're a safe person, the, the, the heart environment is open, they might talk to nobody else, and yet when they come before you, they'll get to open up their heart and share. And then you can start to speak into those areas. That's why I love that we're doing training with Elijah House, not just that you get healing, but you get trained in the language of the heart. And again, you don't have to Christianize anything. You don't have to add Jesus words, chuck it in there just to kind of qualify it. But you just get to learn what it is. And you can keep like, oh, that's kind of that. Hey, have you ever talked, you know, thought about the, the power of your words and what you speak over in your life? Like you can have those kinds of conversations with people. Invite them into your story. Uh, call out the glory in them. Call out the glory of God in them. They are God's creation. And they may not have the Holy Spirit in them, but God's story is waiting to be awakened in them. God has a story for their life. Now, they're they're walking out a different story, but God has a story for their life. And I'm saying prophetically even, start to who's ever prophesied over a non-Christian? I remember Mitch telling me a story at, uh, when you're working, I won't say where, just in case... There, but you know, working and, and yeah, with a with a young guy, and just and Mitch says, "Hey, can I pray for you?" And just starts prophesying and calling out stuff. And this guy's like, "Wow, that's amazing that you would know that about me, or or call that sort of stuff." You awaken dreams in people in that kind of way, words and knowledge, all of that sort of stuff. Call out the glory. Focus on the the God parts in them that He's wanting to awaken. And the final point is get over yourself. Their salvation is more important than your reputation. Just if you're just if you're afraid, just get over yourself. Deal with your heart, deal with your fear, deal with that sort of stuff. But at some point, you, you, you're just going to have to get over yourself. 
And really, if you want to say, do I love this person enough to kind of have those awkward, embarrassing conversations? Maybe they'll reject me. Well, if you're so afraid of people's rejection, then again, go and deal with your rejectable heart. Someone's like, I I don't don't want to hear about Jesus. Cool. Whatever. You know what I mean? Like sometimes we just kind of got to just do it (laughs) and kind of just get over ourselves and use those opportunities. But I guarantee the more that God permeates your heart, the more healing that comes to your heart, the more freedom that comes, then the more boldness that kind of comes in those moments. Because like, I love you and I love you enough to tell you what I know. Not to correct your bad behavior and to call out your sin. I want to let you know about the, the, the God that I've experienced. I want to let you know about the, the change. You know, you're talking to someone who's having trouble in their marriage. Can I let you know about the, the change that God made in my marriage? Because he, he made a change in my heart. You know, that's, it sounds so simple. It's relational. Invite people over for dinner. Just build relationship. Be a friend to people. Be normal, as normal as you can be. Awesome. Why don't you stand? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Well, Father God, I just want to start by just coming before you, Lord, and repenting, Father, of either ways that we have personally just used poor tools of evangelism father we want to repent on behalf of the body of christ and in whatever way father that that we can just for using ungodly techniques to try and get a good outcome for people lord but we've we've presented you in a wrong way as we're supposed to be ambassadors for you father ambassadors of your heart lord that we've we've presented you in the wrong way god I want to say we're sorry, Father. We're sorry, Father, for using manipulative techniques to try and get people to come into ag- agreement with something. Lord. And Father, we ask that you would just reveal to us new ways, God, ways just to uh, reveal your heart and your love for your creation, God. I just pray, Lord, just for you would uh, continue to increase words of knowledge, Lord, gifts of the Holy Spirit that would uh, enable us to effectively engage with those around us, Father. Words of prophecy, Father, words of knowledge, just awakening, Lord, dreams about people, God, those questions to ask that would penetrate their heart to be able to engage and connect with them, Father. Lord, in any ways that we need more words, Work on our own heart, Lord, in order to in order to to be able to share the good news with other people, Father. We ask you would quicken that work, God. But I just pray, Lord, for a boldness to be upon us as a people, God. A boldness to come upon us, Lord, to call people into right relationship with you, to invite people into right relationship, Lord, to receive salvation, to receive your Holy Spirit. Father, make us bold, Lord. Make us a bold people, God. And I pray, Lord, that you would just start to, even right now, Lord, just lay people on our hearts, God. Lay people, might be people we work with or neighbors or friends, people that don't know you today, Lord. We just pray, Lord, lay them on our hearts and give us a burden for them, Lord. That would create a burden in prayer. It would just be a heaviness, Lord, that would come upon us, Lord, in in a good, loving heaviness, Lord, that we would so desire their salvation, God. And, Lord, not that we'd then necessarily go out tomorrow and go, I've got to tell you about Jesus, but we'd just go, I'm going to press in. I'm going to press into this relationship. I'm going to get under the surface here. Even though they might seem like a really hard and harsh person, we just thank you, Father, that they're made in your image, that they're loved by you, and your desire is for their salvation. It's for their good. 
And we just thank you, Father, that you continue to reveal your goodness to us, Lord. And I ask, Father, you would uh, just again continue to permeate our lives with your Lordship. For those areas of our hearts that are shut off to you, God, we just pray you would help us, give us a grace just to open them up and say, I want you to be Lord of my whole life. I want to love you with all of my heart. With my, I want wholehearted love towards you, Father. Nothing left uncovered, Lord. Reveal yourself more to us, God, and then give us the tools, Lord, and show us the way and give us the boldness to reveal you to the world. Father, I just ask, Lord, for increase in healing, Lord. Thank you, Father. Just pray, Lord, release the healing mantles upon people. Thank you, Father. Healing mantles, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Just increase that healing gift, Father. Physical healing, Lord would be upon your people. We just thank you, Father. It's by your spirit, Lord. It's by your spirit, God. But Lord, if we don't pray, people aren't going to get healed, Lord. We just thank you for that understanding, Lord, that the amount of people that are going to get healed through our prayers is going to be dependent upon how many people we pray for, Father. And Lord, that we wouldn't pray for an outcome, we'd pray because our hearts desire that person's breakthrough. Our hearts desire their healing, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. We love you, God. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Awesome. Bless you guys. Thanks for listening.